Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or trash piece of cinema. That's right. And today we are going to be talking about news out of major drug manufacturers that they have cracked the secret to solving the quote unquote obesity epidemic. At oh, least thank partially. goodness. Yeah, right. Uh, we'll dig into why that's silly <laughs> in, and in a problematic bit. and problematic. Uh, and also we'll start to pair that with the film Brittany Runs a Marathon, which I had never heard of. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it made some noise in Sundance in 2019. Got a, a mostly digital online release through Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into all of that good stuff. But before we do, wanted to make sure that we have a quick content warning because we'll be talking about weight. We'll be talking about things like being overweight and obese as they are defined by the sort of incoherent BMI system. Uh, we'll be mentioning numbers. We'll be talking about eating. If any of those things are concern for you, if they spark negative emotions, or if you just need a warning before we get into it, uh, consider this that. We are, we're trying to make sure that we are responsive to different people's needs. That's right. But before we do all of that, the news of the week. News of the week. After pro-abortion candlelight vigils were held outside the home of conservative Supreme Court Justices Alito, Kavanaugh, and Roberts over the weekend, a group of Republican senators introduced a bill Tuesday that would make it illegal to publish the home addresses and phone numbers of government officials online, demonstrating that Senate Republicans believe there are at least nine Americans who do in fact have a right to privacy. Hey, there it is. Mm. And also, apparently, our uh, Senate and uh, House is not actually that broken when it comes to protecting the elite class Mm -hmm. of people. It's just the rest of us who need protection from their nonsense. Right. Well, they did manage to actually pass with 100 percent approval through the Senate and a bill that on the same day that was protecting or no, increasing security for Supreme Court family members. Oh, well, and for Amy Coney Barrett, that's like basically tripling the size of their security detail because she has a hundred thousand children or whatever. That's right. She's like a she's like a queen ant. <laughs> Ukraine's government mocked Russia's celebration of Victory Day by holding a parade of tanks that Ukrainian forces had captured from Russian troops. To make clear that these were Russian tanks, of course, the Ukrainian forces hung ornate rugs on the walls after dousing themselves in Armani Exchange Cologne. <laughs> You got to make sure that they know it's their tanks, you know? And you know what they said after the parade? What is that? You're welcome. Wait, what? Tanks. You're welcome. Oh, no. (laughs) Boo. Sorry. Bill Gates, co-founder of Microsoft, announced Tuesday on Twitter that he has tested positive for COVID-19, confirming for the first time that in addition to humans, the coronavirus is also highly contagious among lizard people. Oh, is he a lizard person? I, guess he? I thought you were going robot with that. Oh. Um, I thought you were going with uh, cyborgs or I something. I thought he was like an Illuminati lizard person. Okay, I mean, or, maybe. Are those two separate things? I thought they were different things. I thought like Russell Westbrook and Rihanna were like the lizard people. Yeah. And Bill Gates was AI, robot. He's, I, he's basically Haley Osment grown up from the movie AI. Isn't that just... No, 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 no. Zuckerberg is the robot. Okay. All right. That's fair. Fair enough. I think definitely Bill Gates wants to put microchips in all of our skin. Oh, already did, right? The The vaccine. vaccine. Yeah, which I'm fine with. That's great. Right. I love microchips. (laughs) (laughs) They go really good with micro dip 
Ooh, now you're talking. <laughs> it's 5G party. A Cleveland Metropolitan School District school bus fell into a construction hole Monday morning. The bus tipped over into the hole that was covered by a steel plate. Now, the bus was successfully removed from the hole and there were no injuries, though Miss Frizzle has been fired before she was able to finish the field trip to the sewage system. <laughs> well, we do have the book where she goes to the water. We do. She just she is a danger, danger to all of the children. No, no, no. The magic protects them. She let Arnold fly through a hurricane because he was late. Well, he should be more on time. He'll never be tardy again. He should have stayed home that day. <laughs> In Florida, the only passenger on board a small airplane who had no previous flying experience landed the craft safely after the pilot suffered a medical emergency. Finally, a moment to shine for a state where the official pastime is operating vehicles that don't belong to you while being really high. <laughs> oh, nice work. That was good. Good tying it into some true Florida <laughs> business. Also, apparently anyone can fly a plane. I did. I always grew up under the assumption that if a plane had a major issue, like you were just doomed. Right. But I didn't know it was basically the same thing as just taking over for your buddies, like abandoned Honda Civic on the side of the road. I mean, you can be either an average person or maybe a really smart well-seasoned person who's incredibly drunk. <laughs> if the good. airlines have taught us anything. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, the World Health Organization just released a new report stating that nearly 15 million more people have died since the COVID-19 pandemic hit two years ago than normally would have. And that's compared to the official COVID death toll of around 6 million. These non-COVID excess death rates ran 21 times higher in the reddest counties than in the bluest counties in 2021. Now, it's impossible to know if these deaths were actually related to COVID or if they were simply allergic reactions to too much freedom. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's just schadenfreude for all of the people who are like, I don't have to listen to you. I'm going to get my uh, ivermectin and get my hydrocortisone. What is it? What was the other one? Hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, it's like, I'm just going to take these and I'll be fine. And then pff, you're dead. It's like, you know, I'm sorry, Republicans, but don't threaten me with a good time. Like, don't tell me that you're going to do something stupid and kill yourselves because... Eh. I really do wonder though because it has truly become a death cult how much this is going to bear out in the fact that they have been like actively killing off their voters for the past two years in these razor thin margin states and areas oh well, don't worry they fixed that because they've redrawn the districts oh, to right. make them less razor thin so you know they redrew the maps the same way that they rewrote the numbers of how many people had passed away exactly right yeah okay yeah so All they right. just just change the rules so that they can't lose the game gotcha and Great. that unfortunately is not only the news of the week it's the news of our lifetimes but awesome. for now it's the news of the week womp womp. for our big news story this week we are looking at a sort of novel thing that is coming out of the world of science and medicine. Mm. The drug manufacturer Eli Lilly has seen really, really what they consider mm -hmm. positive results from a anti-obesity drug. Okay. Which is really interesting. So article comes from the New York Times. For anyone looking into it, it's titled, Patients Taking Experimental Obesity Drug Lost More Than 50 Pounds, Maker Claims. 
Of course, the subheadline there is the data have not yet been peer reviewed or published. Sure. So, of course, they're going to say wonderful things. But the basic idea is this. There's an experimental drug that has enabled people with obesity or who are overweight to lose about 22.5% of their body weight, which is about 52 pounds on average for the people who participated in the study. Okay. So on average, participants in the study weighed about 231 pounds mm -hmm. at the outset and had a BMI or body mass index of about 38. Okay. At the end of this study, those taking uh, the highest dose of this drug, mm -hmm. it's called terzepatide, which is a just awful name. The branding people haven't gotten to it yet. That's right. It sounds like one of the Ninja Turtles. Uh, <laughs> weighed, uh, so they, they weighed about 180 pounds on average and got their BMI just below 30 on average. Okay. So basically what that means is according to the structure of BMI, if you are over 25, you're overweight. If you're over 30, you're obese. So this takes- If your BMI is over 25. If, if your BMI is yeah. over yeah, 25, then you're overweight. Over 30, then you're obese. Mm -hmm. If you can drop it below 30, you go from obese to overweight, and that's a thing. So, mm -hmm. uh, so they're very excited about this. Hooray. But I think it's actually interesting to talk about like what this means from a larger perspective. Like what what is up with you mean in terms of health? In terms of health, yeah. yeah. Like, what is, like, why does this really matter? Right. And what are some of the things that are going on in, A, the reporting of this, but also in the research on this? Right. I mean, it's already a little bit suspect to me that they say that they lost 20% of their body weight. Yes. Because that's not necessarily fat. Sure. Right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I could get into a boating accident and have my leg <laughs> amputated and I've just lost 20% of my body weight. That doesn't right. necessarily mean it's a good thing for me to to inherently just lose weight depending on, it depends on what kind of weight it is. It depends on like, you know, a lot of times when people lose massive amounts of weight, they end up stressing out their heart or becoming yep. like having the the same kind of like body symptoms as somebody yeah. who's anorexic, even though they're not like real thin For because sure. they've done it in a way that is not healthy. That's right. There are people who crash diet, who, you know, purge, who have, you know, issues with their the way that they consume food that causes them to lose weight really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you're right. It can cause a lot of stress on a person's system. And there to this point, which we'll talk about in a minute, there haven't been like longevity studies on these drugs yet. Right. And so I, what I really want to get into is mm -hmm. like, why are we doing this in the first place? <laughs> like, why are we creating drugs to treat people's weight mm -hmm. and what does that mean for those people right so right. i wanted to talk about that but before we get into it we're gonna just very briefly gloss over one of my like picadillos okay. which is the use of bmi oh gosh okay. you're not just yours i mean you and i both have yes. very strong feelings about bmi yes so i will just walk through very quickly what it is for those people who don't know if you haven't been to a doctor in the last 10 years like that you might not necessarily know what bmi is i feel like bmi is older than 10 years though right it, oh it's it goes back into the early 1800s but yeah, yeah. Well, i'm just saying it became I, maybe in the last 20 years, in yeah. fact, it became the thing that doctors focused on. I feel like if you're a woman in America, you know the term <laughs> BMI. Yeah. So it actually, like I said, it started in the early 1800s. There's this guy, Adolf Quetelet. Okay. Not a lot of great guys named Adolf who are like spitting science. Adolf? Yeah, who are spitting science out there. All right. But basically his idea at the time was he just wanted to quantify a bunch of stuff about the human condition. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, what numbers define the average person or something? And so what he wanted to come up with, and this was part of his research, not it was not the main focus, but he basically said, okay, if we take people's heights and weights, uh, we can look at sort of what averages look like for people, and we can create a bell curve, just right. normal distribution for all that stuff. 
Of course, he was in Europe at the time, and he only had access to this information from certain groups. So the people that he got this information from were all men and were all from France or Scotland. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Right. And he created the BMI and determined what the sort of normal distribution of the BMI curve was just for those subgroups of people. So we're already <laughs> on very shaky scientific ground. I feel like this is just going to be the recurring theme anytime we talk about science is how women are excluded yes. over and over again. And I'm curious, though, because there is a second chart for mm -hmm. women. Yeah. So where did they... Where did they magic that out of? Yeah, as this progressed and people started to use this as like actuarial data, right. insurance companies, all the insurance companies started to use their own versions of this. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, the male numbers don't seem to be right for women. So we just kind of added like three or four. So it's like a bunch of actuarial, like people inside the bowels of, you know, Aetna or whatever, or Sigma, uh -huh. just like coming up with numbers they think fit right for their particular data set. Obviously their data sets are not representative because they are all people who are able to afford insurance. Specifically, it was done for people doing life insurance. Right. So it's like, even if you have health insurance, those people were not necessarily, you know, advocating for the use of BMI initially. It was for life insurance so they could figure out when someone was likely to die based off of these numbers that they had. So, women, they're just smaller men. That's, I mean, and, and that like is, children are smaller women. Yep. And once again, go back and listen to our episode on SAFE, mm -hmm. the, the movie, the Todd Haynes film, where we do talk to how women are excluded from scientific research. That's right. Not only that, uh, this was again people from France and from Scotland. So it's just a bunch of white folks. A bunch of white people. I mean, white men. Well, yeah, just a bunch of white men. So that being said, mm -hmm. this guy, this guy um, Adolphe Quillet or whatever, however you pronounce his name, um, he intended and even wrote in his research, the BMI is intended to be a population level metric. Mm -hmm. It is not intended to describe an individual or assign a specific set of treatment for an individual. So if you have a, like, it, it doesn't make sense on mm -hmm. the individual level is what he said in his research. And then of course, everyone said, oh, a shiny number that I can use to reduce all of my information down into one piece of, of something I have to remember. Great, let's do it. So wait, he said, it doesn't make sense on an individual level. And they just heard makes sense on an individual level. <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. You said it does? Okay, great, moving on. <laughs> uh, no, 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 don't talk anymore, we're fine. Um, right, and so the other thing, as we mentioned, based off only white people, and even to this day, mm -hmm. BMI is not applicable to black people for the most part. Right. Like it is, it's just for some reason, it does not represent the averages of that group of people. We've never incorporated data for them into this. And so by and large, right. if a doctor is trying to assign uh, a BMI to a black person, it will be off. It will not correct it, correctly describe their physical condition. Right. Well, okay. The other thing too is, aren't we like different as like a, on the whole as like the body composition of people now than we were back then? Sure. I don't know as much about in the 1800s, yeah. but there are certainly things that have changed about the about people mm -hmm. um, in the last you know. 200 years, right. um, not evolutionarily, but societally, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the big things that they mentioned is, um, yes, Americans have gained weight at a slow rate, fairly slow rate over the last couple decades. Mm -hmm. Americans have also reduced the percentage by which we smoke. So right. as, if you are not a smoker, you tend to gain weight. And so it could be the case that that's a reasonable portion of what it is that is causing weight gain. Our gut biomes have changed over time. It could be causing us to add weight. Um, we are around more available food regularly. That could be a part of it. Like it doesn't really, there's Women no are, single you know, bullet that's going to you know put a, an answer to this question out there. Right? Women are chasing those peach emoji gains. 
sure, the, yeah, getting, at the gym. Yeah, getting squats in, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is funny. I uh, I was running, when I worked at Cisco in the you know early 2000s, or late 2000s, I ran, trained to run a half marathon. Mm-hmm. And I went to a doctor and got my physical at work. And the guy was like, yeah, your BMI is a little high. And I was like, all right, whatever, man. I mean, I'm running 13 miles every weekend. And he's like, oh, well, then you probably have like 10 extra pounds in your legs. So that's what it is. I'm just like, well, then what the what good is this number? And and to that point, mm-hmm. I would like to present you with an individual who would be defined as obese, who everyone has a mental image of right now. His name is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Sure. He's 6'5", 260. Right. And he would be considered obese by this simplistic definition. Well, also, again, Serena Williams. Yep. Somebody that we that comes up a lot on this podcast yep. because she's fantastic. But just anybody who is especially in shape or who has a lot of muscle yeah. is considered obese because it is a metric purely of height and and, and weight. And yeah, that's right. And so, you know, I am considered by the BMI to be overweight. Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know, 5'11", 190 or something like that right now. Mm-hmm. And that fluctuates. Uh, sometimes I'm shorter, sometimes I'm t- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I, but I, I don't particularly care because I also, I'm, I'm actively trying to grow muscle or to like, or, also, or to be strong. And Also, so you, have to, you just work out like five days yeah, a week. Right. You know, like actively heavily working out. So yeah. by no means is that going to be something that, you know, yeah. is reflective of your health. Yeah. And not only that, if here's where it gets kind of wild, right? Mm. So in the 1990s, the WHO, World Health Organization, adopted the BMI as a set of standards for determining obesity, right? Mm-hmm. And in 1997, and then later and sort of going into 98, the National Institutes of Health in the United States adopted the same changes that the WHO made. And prior to these changes, pre-97, being overweight was defined as being 27.5 BMI Mm -hmm. or higher. And overnight, they adopted these new standards where all of a sudden being overweight was 25 or higher. Mm -hmm. And I don't don't know exactly why it happened. I listened to a a podcast called Maintenance Phase, and they have some like mildly uh, conspiratorial thoughts on it, which is some of these changes were advocated by companies like Roche and some other one, I forget the name of, that had weight loss drugs on the market. Sure. And they were advocating for calling more people overweight so they would have a larger market to sell these drugs to. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would be interesting, or what is interesting about that is, when the NIH made this change, they had a task force that reported on the prevention and treatment of obesity. And the task force said it supports links between the bands of you know obesity or being overweight or obese um, to an increased risk of death. However, they commissioned a study for this report, mm-hmm. and the study actually says the opposite thing. It said that the death risks for men with a body mass index of 19 to 21 were the same as those for men who were overweight or obese. Mm-hmm. And so there is actually no scientific uh, evidence that being overweight or obese lead you to worse mortality rates. Right. So, you know, I think that it's it's very strange that they would reverse their own conclusions in the report for reason, question mark, question mark. Like, I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate, but I think that this is something that you and I talk about all the time with a variety of things. And again, because I recently went through having a child um, for a second time and... It is not that science is inherently 
bad right. or that scientists are. I believe that they try to do the best that they can, but there are special interests that infiltrate every level and layer of the healthcare system yes. that have their own agendas and yeah. they have their own, what's the word for Incentives. It? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. And it's not even necessarily just on a like, I want to make money kind of level, although there's a lot of that. Right. There are some scientists who go through this research having already arrived at their conclusion. Several times I looked through research you know, for this podcast and there were scientists who were like leading the CDC mm-hmm. when all of this stuff came out, who was just like, I know that being fat is bad for you. And so I will determine how to describe fatness and I will determine how to you sort of stigmatize those people, basically. Right. And so for up until the, the 90s with the BMI stuff, fatness was kind of viewed as a personal failing. Mm-hmm. It was like, you just don't have the willpower. You just don't have the whatever. And there was a push at this time to sort of classify it as a disease. Mm-hmm. And that's where, where the idea of the obesity epidemic came from. Right. Now, the one thing I want to cover on BMI that's, that is uh, terrible, <laughs> and the last mm-hmm. thing I want to say about it, is around the time of the late 90s, early 2000s is when the WHO also decided to start using BMI for children. Right. And that is absolute utter garbage. Like as a person who has a kid who's a little bit big for his age, like it makes no sense. It makes no sense, but he's not. The thing is, he is considered like a, I don't know, close to overweight, whatever, but he's not, he fits regular kids' yeah. clothes in a regular way. And he's just very sturdy. And like, he's got five <laughs> pounds of hair. Like I don't, you know, it's, and also like kids tend to grow out right. and then up. So right. it depends on when you catch him. It literally does. Like we'll, we'll have a, he'll have a growth spurt and he'll look way too skinny. And yeah. I'll think that I'm not feeding him enough. <laughs> and then that might just be the Asian mother in me. And then he'll go, you know, he'll, he'll plump out. A, and the same thing for myself, my parents, will tell me every every time I talk about it like at, as a child yeah I would go grow up and then plump out and then grow up and then plump out and I was never a skinny child right but I was never unhealthy we always ate very you know you know wholesome meals yeah that were hearty but um it was never like junk food or candies or cakes and, and the same for cashes yep yep so it is it is wild. And I remember being a child in the 80s and I went to a research developmental school mm-hmm. where they would have metrics on all sorts of things. Professor Xavier School for the Gifted? <laughs> <laughs> it was actually not gifted kids. It was a, it was a wide array of children that okay. were representative of the state of Florida. There you go. But um, one of the things, they would test us that we had um, annual standardized tests every year, which is probably one of the reasons I'm so good at them. <laughs> and one of the things that they also did every year is they had fitness tests and they would use calipers and they would have us do all sorts of things and just take our like physical measurements yeah. as we grew as well. I don't know if that's, that's probably not something they do in every school. We had, so, we had like a fitness test, but it was, they didn't like measure your body. They were just like, how fast can you run a mile or can you climb a rope or whatever? Yeah. Oh no, they definitely would like they would measure our height and our weight and they would take calipers and measure our arms and our stomach fat and stuff like that and gross not I a mean, thing you want to do to kids huh not a thing you want to do to kids i mean they wouldn't tell us what the what the right, information right, right. was it was purely for like their own research purposes at right. the university but it was definitely something that they were at least studying back in the 80s yeah that's fair yeah yeah so just to conclude the bmi section if you go to a doctor, listener, mm-hmm. and they provide you with your BMI, mm. tell them to shove it right up the butt. 
because it isn't worthless. It tells you nothing about who you are. There are other ways to determine your overall level of fitness. There are other ways to determine your overall level of health. And the BMI does neither for no one. What's so, another alternative to BMI? Yeah. So if you're going to do something, I think that is indicative of overall health. Um, I think it's like height to waist ratio is one that you can use. Isn't but there also like a chest to waist ratio? Maybe I'm not sure, and I, maybe I, I that wouldn't know how that's for women. Right, I wouldn't know how that breaks down <laughs> between men and women. But generally, all of these things are pretty bad predictors of overall health. Mm-hmm. Here's what you need to do if you go to a doctor: you want them to take a blood test, right. you want them to check your fasted glucose levels, and you want them to check your cholesterol levels. If your cholesterol levels are in normal ranges you're going to be fine. If your blood glucose levels are below 100 on, an, on a sort of fasted state, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Doctors are supposed to measure your blood at least once a year, right? So that they can get those values. I don't know. I'm new to health insurance, so that sounds <laughs> right to me, I guess. Yeah. And so, so I'll get into this a little bit more in a minute, but the idea that people should give a shit about what your actual weight is, mm-hmm. is kind of nefarious in a way that it's it's really only serving as a proxy for these other health measures. Right. Like your health is so much more than just what people, and just the amount of fat you're storing on your body, right? And so, right. by the way, I'm using these words like obese just because they are the ones used in literature. Uh, I know there are people who are advocates for like being, for fat people who use the term fat, but there are other people who don't like to, that word referred to them as that. People with excess adipose tissue is another way of talking about people. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to spit the the vernacular. No, I think it's good. It was one of the things I wanted to bring up is just the the language around around the topic because there is still debate within the community. There are people who say that they want to claim the word fat and that it's not a dirty word or a bad word and that it's not something to be ashamed of. And so when we shy away from it and we use these euphemisms, They in in their own right, they make things seem bad, yeah. right? If we say that somebody is overweight, then right. we're saying over what weight, right? Right? What what are you implying? Like, what I'm are gonna, you? I'm then gonna implying? get to that. Yeah, I'm gonna get to that. Right, yeah. <laughs> but but like it, it, the there is language around it, so I think that like you know, it's good to clarify when we say fat or fatness. There is no judgment value. Right. Everyone has body fat. Everyone everyone has body yeah. fat. That's exactly right. And, and so we have to have words to describe things, but in no way is it a negative thing. I think right. obviously from the context of our discussion, but right. it's also just the language being used by the communities. Correct. And so trying to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trying, trying our best. The other thing I'll say is, so moving on to the next sort of topic is the idea of the obesity epidemic, which I briefly touched on, but I, I think that it's important. This was a big sort of kind of panic that happened in the nineties and two thousands. It was like, mm. oh my gosh everybody's getting larger. It's going to be a problem for health insurance. It's going to cost so much money, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. There is basically no such thing as the obesity epidemic, right? There are ideas or there there are people who would claim between 300 and 400,000 deaths a year are due to obesity. Mm -hmm. And what they actually mean are there are three to 400,000 deaths associated with things that correlate with obesity. Okay. You do not end up on the coroner's table and get a death certificate that says person died from being fat. Right. Doesn't happen. You might die from hypertension, from heart disease, from heart attack, from diabetes, mm-hmm. right? Guess what? Skinny people get those too. <laughs> like it right. is not it is not the exclusive uh, realm of people who are overweight. Well, and that's sort of again this is you know back to the the world of of um 
of postpartum or, or, or pregnancy. You know, I have a friend who I have a couple of friends who had come down with gestational diabetes mm-hmm. and it's a little bit different, right? Yeah. But it is essentially still a form of diabetes yeah. who are both very slim, yeah. right? And not in any way overweight. Right. And they had gestational diabetes. Whereas for me, when I was pregnant with our first child, I ended up gaining, I don't know, like 65 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was already like borderline. He- we had just gotten back from Italy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just my, no, my, my frame, yeah. you know, similar to you, I'm always like sort of borderline between like normal quote unquote, normal range and overweight right. based off of just me having muscle. But I gained 65 pounds, and then all of a sudden I have people telling me I need to worry about gestational diabetes. Right. When I got my blood work back. And it was fine. And it was fine. Yeah. It was literally like like exactly in the middle of the normal <laughs> of the range, range yeah. of, of processing, maybe yeah. a little bit low. Yeah. And here's the thing. The way that diabetes works is your body is unable to respond to insulin or is unable to produce enough insulin Mm -hmm. to lower your blood sugar. You're either insulin resistant or insulin deficient, right? Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, then you are diabetic, and that can happen because your pancreas fails to produce the chemical you need to produce glucose. Mm -hmm. Guess what's not really related to that in terms of a biological mechanism? The amount of fat that you carry on your frame. Right. Adipose tissue does, does not really have anything to do with your pancreas. And in fact, the, the fat on your body is really just stored calories, right? Mm-hmm. And if your body is pretty good at using those stored calories for energy, then having fat on your body is quite good. It's actually a good thing. can right. be protective in some cases for other types of diseases. Right. So you know, molecular biochemistry aside, it's also worth noting like when they talk about the higher likelihoods for people who are overweight or obese for mortality. Mm -hmm. Here's what they're talking about, right? So they're saying the death risks for overweight and obese people in many instances is about a half to 1.75 times above people who are in the quote-unquote normal range. Compare that to lung cancer risks for smokers. Mm -hmm. If you're a smoker, you have 10 to 15 times higher likelihood of getting lung cancer than a non-smoker. Mm-hmm. So we're actually talking about like magnitudes of scale, right? So right. so there there may be some negative or deleterious health effects if you're overweight or obese. They're not nearly the scale of like cigarette smoke. The other thing that's really interesting is despite the supposedly abnormal levels of overweight and obese people in the United States, life expectancy continues to increase. Right. Uh, COVID aside, obviously, I think that probably dampens that a, a bit. And then, you know, finally, when you look at how people can affect their risks of diabetes and heart disease, it turns out that increased physical activity and dietary changes reduce diabetes risk in advance of or even in the absence of weight loss. Mm -hmm. So if you eat healthy and exercise, even if you don't lose a single pound, those two things help improve the ability for your body to produce insulin, regulate their glucose glucose levels. So the the idea that there is this obesity epidemic and we have to like get out in front of it for public health reasons is actually kind of just bullshit. Right. Well, it makes sense that just doing the physical activity and altering your diet helps because I'm thinking about that 
that device that you had put in your arms so that you could measure your your glucose levels. Blood, yeah. yeah, your blood glucose levels. And what you see is an immediate effect mm-hmm. of um, eating food and seeing your blood sugar spike or an immediate effect of seeing your blood sugar spike and then going for a walk right. and having your having body drop, yeah. drop that, right? And and so it's not you're you choosing to eat one bad meal or one good meal, quote unquote bad yeah. meal, right? One um, high sugar meal or one low sugar meal, or you choosing to go on one walk or not go like that in itself is not going to have you lose weight. Exactly. Right. But it still affects the way that your body responds. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And like, there are a couple of videos that showed up on my like Instagram feed randomly recently. There was a, a a girl who was taller, uh, heavier, um, had a bunch of like what you would call extraneous adipose tissue. Right. Mm. But she was a cheerleader and she was doing like back handsprings and flips and turns and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I couldn't, I mean, I, like you said, I work out all the time. I don't have the ability to do any of that stuff. Right. She was crushing it. There was another guy who was like a bigger dude who was doing diving on like off of a diving board. Mm-hmm. He was cutting like, like 720 gainers or whatever. Like, I don't know what they're called, but like doing full on acrobatic stuff and was killing it. Right. And I'm like this, you know, your weight does not necessarily affect your flexibility, your strength, your speed, any of that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if you want to, like, do you want to know how I know this? We just had the NFL draft. There was a guy who weighed like 360 pounds and ran a sub five second 40. It's like, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it's just everybody's body is different and is going to re- you know, work differently. Right. So, um, so yeah, I, I wanted to sort of start out with that as a baseline for why this drug is even being developed it's mm-hmm. because we have this faulty sense of what people need for their own health well and it's not even just like a a, a faulty sense from a scientific perspective but we as a country tend to blame things that we think are bad on moral feelings yes right we tend to we'll, we'll look at a person who we believe to be over an ideal weight or whatever and say that, oh, that must be the case because they are we will. lacking in some kind of personality yeah. trait, yep. right? Whatever it may be, willpower or they're lazy yeah. or whatever, like whatever the stereotypes may happen to be. And we want to, we love assigning blame as a society yeah. to people and, and making sure that they know that they are the ones that are at fault. Right, right. And it also, it does the reverse, right? It's like, if I am not overweight, right. then I can say it's because I am mm-hmm. so industrious. I work out. I, it's not just genetic lottery, whatever. It's, right. you know. And that's actually something that's really interesting with, um, with weight in and of itself is um, we know that basically if you are, if you're a larger kid, it has no correlation to whether you're going to be a larger adult. Mm-hmm. If you are a larger uh, if you're a smaller kid or a skinnier kid, has no correlation whether you're going to be a larger or smaller adult. Right. Like it is is completely different. And also, there are studies that show kids that are adopted mm-hmm. uh, and and raised in a new family are more likely to have the physical makeup of their biological parents sure. than their adoptive parents. So it's not necessarily even like could they make a choice based off this new family they're living with. Mm-hmm. It's like they do. They make the choices of that family, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's a lot of it's biological. Right. Biological or things that happen to the baby when they're in the womb before they're even able to, you know, make choices. Right. 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 The kinds of foods that the pregnant person was eating, you know, or whatever. There are also twin studies where twins are separated at birth and they tend to 
be more closely like each other than they are with the families they grew up with. Mm-hmm. It's like we're we're talking about. I, I think that nature and nurture are very interesting concepts to consider in a lot of science and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what we do as people is is nurture. Right. A lot of who we are as physical biological beings is going to be nature. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, I think that for me, I am just at the point now where I'm ready to tell doctors to get out of my face (laughs) very quickly. And BMI is one of those con was one of those terms that if somebody tries to like pull that with me, I'm just at the point where it's like, I, you know what, I'm just going to get a new doctor because clearly you are like as lazy as you think I am because my BMI is high. You are an even lazier doctor. And I think that's it, right? Like doctors are are, are here for pattern recognition. Like this is a thing that's easy for me to use as a diagnosis tool. I can see, you know, I'll just match this person to this number and then I'll tell them all the things I would tell somebody who hits that number. And that's it. Right. right? And it's also, and it's, I imagine it's probably even worse for women, Yes, you know, and also during pregnancy, right. it's one of those things that, yeah. um, I got to the point where I, during my pregnancy, I was just like, I don't really want to know. Don't tell me my way. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the other thing that's really funny is there are a lot of sort of anecdotal reports of people who are larger and their doctor, they may say, I have this medical concern Mm -hmm. and the doctors say, well, come back when you lose 20 pounds or whatever. And they'll immediately just based off of BMI, diagnose them with being like sick because they're fat. Right. When in fact it's like, oh no, they have a tumor (laughs) or it's like, oh no, they actually have cancer or something like that. It's like Mm -hmm. there, there are, they don't even, they, they take the opportunity Mm -hmm. to use BMI as a diagnosis tool Mm -hmm. rather than doing the hard work of actual like medical care because doctors spend less than 15 minutes with their patients every once a year. It's like, not that I'm trying to advocate against the practices of doctors. I'm just saying they're not doing a very good job a lot of times with those practices. And I think that people don't realize that you can advocate for yourself and that when you go to the doctor, you are allowed to question them. You're allowed to ask, I'm going to use some house terminology, but you're allowed to ask for a differential diagnosis, right? You're allowed when the doctor says, this is what I think it is to say, how sure are you that you think it's this? Well, what what else could it be if it's not this? Can you tell me those other causes? If we're doing, if we're running a differential diagnosis, what are the alternate causes and list those out for me? And what are your likelihoods of those things being the cause? What have you done in terms of testing? What can we do? You can ask all of those questions and you should be, especially especially if you have somebody coming at you again with something so rudimentary as BMI. Right. Or you can just ignore them and go about your day. <laughs> also fine. No, just, sure, just but I'm kidding, saying like if, you, if you're going to the doctor because you feel bad. Yes, if you're looking right, for them to help you. Yeah. And they're telling you it's because you're fat, then you can say, I disagree with that. Or maybe, maybe yeah. that's the case, but I would like to know what else it could be yeah. so that I'm not wasting my time. Right. I do want to cover briefly how the drug works because yeah, I okay. think it's, it's interesting. The drugs are actually based off of things that happen in your body naturally. Mm-hmm. So they are called incretins. So I-N-C-R-E-T-I-N-S. They are naturally occurring hormones that slow stomach emptying, regulate insulin, and decrease appetite. So it's interesting because they are basically doing the things that you can kind of almost do naturally by like eating slower, controlling your uh, sugar intake or glucose intake. Mm -hmm. But this is a drug that sort of artificially stimulates those things. Okay. The side effects can include nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, but they tend to be on the very moderate end compared to like other diet drugs. So Uh if you remember back in like the 80s, I think it was, there was like FinFin, which Mm. would like rip a hole in your heart. 
that's worse. Well, wasn't fentanyl like an amphetamine? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The speed, basically. Okay. The other thing with this drug is the way that they are describing obesity, and obviously, I guess, the way it plays out in, in most people's lives, because they determine it to be a chronic medical condition, mm-hmm. patients would have to take this drug for their entire life. Oh. So as as you would for like blood pressure medication or cholesterol drugs. Mm. So it's like the new statin, right? You take it every month. <sighs> Before you get into that, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the one thought that I had mm. was like, well, they're just testing this now. How do they know that long-term usage is going to do anything other than any other diet drug has ever done, which is work for a little while and then fail? Right. Right. So it's like they don't have any long term research on this yet. First of all, they're not sure if the body's multiple and redundant systems to maintain body weight Mm -hmm. are going to be able to counteract the effects of this drug and the drug will diminish in its effectiveness over time. They have no idea whether that's going to happen. Right. And then secondly, which is the whole crux of this stupid argument they're making, they have no idea if the reduction in what they call obesity is going to result in a reduction in diabetes or high blood pressure. Right. They have no idea if the actual outcomes you want that result in mortality are going to be affected by this drug. They can make you lose 50 pounds, but they have no idea if it's going to make you healthier. Well, again, it goes back to, let's say somebody is eating or living their lives in a way that is causing them to have diabetes. Yeah. The fat that is on their body is not causing the diabetes. It is again, this problem, this confusion of correlation and causation, Bingo. right? Yeah. The foods that a person eat may cause them to have more fat than they would like. And also may cause their pancreas to have a hard time processing sugar. Right. right? But it is, if you, all you're doing is getting rid of the fat, you're still eating terribly. Yeah. Then you're still doing things to cause your pancreas harm. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Correct. <laughs> but you're masking it and you think everything is okay now because you've started to fit into more quote unquote conventional metrics. Exactly. Yes. I I think that this sort of lands on what we were talking about earlier is how do people talk about obesity and how does it sort of affect the people who, who are most likely to sort of get sort of downstream effects of this stuff. Right. So I'm going to send you something really quickly. Uh, do you have your phone on you? I do. Okay. So this is an article from the article. It's quoting a tweet from a doctor. So I'm sending that to you and you can read this. Wow. And a double wow. Dr. Sikar Katharizan, chief executive of Verve Therapeutics, a company focusing on heart disease drugs, wrote in a tweet, drugs like Eli Lilly's, he added, are, quote, truly going to revolutionize the the treatment of obesity. Right. So we'll revolutionize the treatment of obesity. Wow. And double wow. So excited. Because we'll have fewer fat people. This person in the world. needs to have their license revoked. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, imagine that you're a person who has excess adipose tissue. And this you, you see stuff like this, and people are like, oh wow, there'll be less fat people like me. They want less of me. Great. Right. It's like it's such a weird thing. And then I'll give you one more thing to read if you don't mind. So from another article by the same author on the on a different drug from a different company that does the same thing. Quote. Some trial participants lost enough weight to fall into the normal range, said Dr. Louis J. Louis, 
Louis J. Aron. Louis J. Aron, director of the Comprehensive Weight Control Center at Wheel Cornell Medicine, who worked with Eli Lilly as the study's principal investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So wa- worked with the Eli Lilly and also falling into what range? Right. The normal. normal. The normal yeah. range. It's got to be normal because Not the abnormal if you're range. abnormal, yeah, that's the problem. Also, by the way, mm. like we are saying that, you know, oh, there's this harmful nature of like being overweight, being obese. Mm -hmm. It's actually more detrimental to your health to be underweight, but no one ever talks about that. Right. Like there are higher correlations between being underweight with BMI than, and death than with being overweight. So, but of course nobody talks about that. So. Right. I mean that, and also I wonder what the, how, what's more detrimental to your health being quote unquote overweight or having poor mental health because you have so many people telling you all of these terrible things. Right. And so, you know, on one hand, what these doctors are saying is that classifying this, classifying obesity as a disease rather Mm -hmm. than like a byproduct of people's choices will help to remove personal responsibility and may Mm destigmatize the idea of being overweight or obese. Mm -hmm. As a person who has seen how we've stigmatized people based off of other diseases, such as mental illness or Crohn's disease or even diabetes, I don't think that labeling something an illness is necessarily going to be destigmatizing, mm-hmm. especially if there is a drug that can quote unquote fix the illness. There are plenty of, as I mentioned, healthy, active, strong, flexible, fast, or just average people who are right. also fat. It's like, that it undervalues the effects of a healthful diet and regular exercise if it's not resulting in weight loss. Right. Like having these drugs focus on just reducing the number of pounds you put down on a scale is not healthful at all. Right. Right. It's very strange. It, it almost feels like it is irresponsible to prescribe them to people who have a bunch of other health issues that are correlated because again, it's going to mask the real underlying, yep. the real underlying health, the actual underlying health problems. Yep. Correct. And then the last thing I'll say, so there is, like I mentioned, another drug that is similar to this one that's already on the market. Mm. It's not as effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of like, you know, 22% increase it's or decrease, it's like 15 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by Novo Nordisk. It is called Wegovi. Okay. Which is not a great name either. Guess how much it costs per month? $500. $1,349.02 per month, not covered by insurance. And so oh what God. we're saying is that even for those people who may need to use a drug to lose some weight for their health, mm-hmm. you have to be rich. We will save rich people and make them thin and we will ignore poor people. Yeah, but it's not even really saving them though. It feels like it is... It, Again, it, it makes me think of that phrase, a fool and his money are sure, parted. Right. Although at this point, it's not a fool. It's just somebody who has been pressured and tricked by society. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> by the way, there are institutions like the American Obesity Foundation, mm-hmm. which are focused on eliminating or at least reducing obesity. Guess who their main funding comes from? Eli Lilly? No. <laughs> I mean, Roche, which is another drug manufacturer. Yeah. And Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, and SlimFast. Right. So... There are people who have a reason to focus on weight loss as the key metric because they can get you to buy their drugs and their products. Right. It's all a grift. Yeah. I think the only thing that I will say about all of this is, again, just 
was speaking on personal experience, right? After Cassius yeah. was born, I had an extra 40 pounds on my body, right? Yeah. Um, and I worked really hard at trying to trying to get back to my pre-pregnancy weight. Sure. For no reason other than I know how much harder it is to move around and chase a child with with literally just 40 more pounds on my body. Right. You know, I'm five seven. If I were to put on a 40 pound weight vest, it's a lot. It's yeah. a significant amount for me moving around. Yeah. Right. And so for me, it was worth the effort of putting into it and knowing that like it's it's something that I could right. do or at least try to obtain this goal to feel like I could move easier in my body and to have more muscle because I had lost a lot of muscle right. as well. Right. And to to just be more physically fit yeah. as the parent of young children. Yeah. And and I think that there is a distinction to say, we're not saying that it's bad to want to lose weight ever, right? right? There can be health reasons or lifestyle reasons why that may be yeah. helpful for you. But simply saying that if I that 40 pounds that I had on me in itself did not make me more or less healthy. Yeah. And I will also say this. I, after Cassius was born, right. was up about 25 pounds. Right. And I didn't have the baby. Right. So, I, you know, I was at like... <laughs> Sympathy weight. Right. I was at 210. Well, we did a lot, a lot of takeout. We had just moved from New York. It was a whole a lot stressful of Vietnamese time. Food from a lot of mom. Vietnamese food from your mom. <laughs> so I was at like 210. Yeah. And like, I actually felt like, you know, pressure on my knee mm -hmm. and then had to go get a cortisone shot because I had like tweaked a, a thing and it just, it it was more uncomfortable for me than I wanted it to be. Right. And so I, I definitely made to, made sure to focus on improving my diet, eating less takeout, cooking more whole foods, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. um, and going to the gym more frequently. Right. But here's the thing. I wanted to get back to the weight I was sort of before, which was 185, 190. And I hit that mm -hmm. and it was not that difficult to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, great, let me try and get down to like 175. Right. <laughs> and I was like, let's just keep going, see how much I can do. I was doing the same stuff. Right. I cut my calories a little bit more. And guess what? Didn't move. Didn't move an inch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is the thing that I, is the big point for everyone to take in, to keep in mind. There may be a reason that people want to lose weight because they want to get back to a place where they felt comfortable, right? right? And maybe they've had a bad diet. Maybe they've been drinking too much. Maybe there are things that have added weight to your frame that feels uncomfortable to you. And that stuff can come off. That right. stuff can come off because our body tends to have this sort of homeostasis, this level that it likes to live at for us. Mm -hmm. Now, that's different for every person. Mine tends to be about 180 to 185. Right. Um, and that may change because I'm adding muscle here and there or whatever. But the point is, it's like there's a range and I know where it is. Most people have that and you can go below it. But if you do, it's going to come back and you can go above it and then it might be easier to get back down to it. And it's all about how you how your body wants to be. And can you live in harmony with that homeostasis that your body is sort of putting out there for you? Right. Yeah, for me, my stasis is between low 140s and 150. Sure. Right. That is roughly where I will sit, you know, without any like extra stuff going on in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if I'm keeping up like a, a decently like conscientious diet where I'm not like snacking constantly and whatever, you know, like yeah. I'm, we're just, we're doing our, our dinners of protein and two vegetables or right. two sides. I will say that the, the, slimmest of my life when I was, I think I was like 122. Yeah. Could you imagine me at 122? No. 
just all bones. <laughs> I literally looked ill. And also I was probably one of the unhealthiest lifestyles of my life for as sure. well. Like it was not a, it was not a good place for me yeah. um, physically or probably mentally either. Right? right. But I was very, very thin, Sure. but I was very, very unhealthy. Right. And so again, it goes back to like, certainly I felt more unhealthy than if I had an extra 20 pounds on me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I think that's probably a good place to jump into the movie. Right. Because we watched Brittany runs a marathon. That's right. And part of the movie is about her getting to this goal weight and right. and her, I mean, that's just like sort of the narrative arc of like sort of the false climax. The MacGuffin. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So we watched Brittany runs a marathon. It was a, an indie film that was released. Um, it premiered at Sundance actually on January 28th in 2019. Okay. And its actual opening weekend was August 23rd, 2019. At Sundance, I think it won the audience award, right? It did win the yeah. audience okay. award. That's right. That's why I heard of it, but yeah. Mm -hmm. It won the audience award and it was received so well by the audiences <laughs> that there was a bidding war. Ooh. Amazon eventually won the bidding war for $14 million. Oh, wow. With rights. Jeez. Okay. Do they have a, do they have a production budget on this I thing? I didn't get Yeah. They, they tend to hide that stuff for indie films in, in Sundance, but yeah. I didn't, I, yeah, I like, I searched on pages for numbers and I, the, these are the ones that I found and, but, um, it's opening weekend. So the, again, the opening weekend numbers are also kind of wonky because yeah. it's Amazon. So they released it on five theaters on opening weekend. Yeah. They, Amazon tends to four wall, which means they will just buy the whole theater out and right. put it out there. And they do it for like awards contention and stuff like that. Yeah. That's my assumption, which means I feel like we should just change the way that we admit films to awards. I mean, probably. Or yes. like what the criteria are yeah. for that. But it, um, cause it just, it's just gaining, gaming the system at yeah. that point. Right. That's so, a larger conversation. We'll have to have Martin Scorsese join us for that it's a, one. But. It's just a meaningless metric. Yes. Right. Um, but it opened for, um, opening weekend for $175,969. Sure. So averaging 35, roughly 35,000 per venue. Um, total box office, final worldwide box office gross was 7.4 million. Huh. Um, so I guess roughly half of what Amazon paid for it, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of like whatever in perpetuity streaming rights they have yeah, on their site. Exactly. The one thing, so they, they wanted only two, <laughs> um, two awards. One was Sundance. Oh, one was the, this can't be right. The BMI film and TV. <gasps> what? <laughs> for films that mention BMI. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, the BMI Streaming Film Awards. Okay, what does BMI stand for? Do we know? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you keep talking. I'll look it up. Okay. Well, it won a BMI Film and TV Award for Streaming Film Award. There was one award that it won. It is the Broadcast Music Incorporated. Okay. <laughs> the Body Mass Index Film and TV Award. Yeah. It also was nominated for something. And I just, I only, only, only want to bring this up because I'm curious. Uh, is for the satellite awards for best motion picture made for television. Oh. Which I thought was interesting. And I guess just because it's like on a streaming service. So I guess just, so, yeah. It just, it seemed weird to me that right. it was categorized as, as that, as well as like a streaming film. It just seems like we still haven't really figured out what to do with these films that are 
produced or purchased and released by streamers. Yeah. Not even a little bit, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, it was an 88 average rating, Metascore 72 out of 100. So well-received. Well received. Yeah, yeah. yeah well-received by people. I have to tell you, I was razor's edge, like, nervous <laughs> because I was just... I. I don't know, that may be the wrong way to describe it, but I just, I felt the whole time that toward the beginning, I was like, oh, this could go south really quickly. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. <laughs> this could go in a direction that um, is just not helpful to the conversation. Like anti-fat bias and whatnot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all the things that they're getting at at the beginning of the film, basically. For sure, yeah, yeah. Well, so I think that we can get into it, I guess, but they did a nice little narrative turn where it's like, it did seem like, she was solving all of her problems when she was losing weight. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that it actually wasn't that any of those things that were her problems were the result of her weight. Right. It was that she was dealing with trauma in her, from her family life. She was dealing with being poor in New York. Right. She was dealing with uh, probably alcohol and drug abuse. She was dealing with bad friends. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, like she had existed in a life that was sort of, depressing on its own and it seemed as though not just whatever weight gain she had but also like all of the bad things that happened to her were the result of being depressed and in a bad position mm -hmm. and so i think they kind of threaded that needle a little bit i wouldn't say they did a masterful job of it but it was okay i think they did a good job i here's what i will say i walked a, okay as the film was going yeah I was really, really concerned about the direction it was going in, yeah. especially toward the beginning. Once it got two thirds of the way through and then to the final, like the final, you know, the um, third, third, third act. yeah, the final act. Once we got there, I actually felt quite a bit better about it. And I, and I actually think that they did a good job of emphasizing the things that really matter. And then the more that I have been reading about the film, watching interviews and, yeah. and researching it, the more endearing it actually is. And I, and I understand the intent behind it and, and see a lot of what they're doing. But I think that it just, it had to sit with me for a second also. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, but backing up just a little bit, for sure, we have the main character, the yeah. titular character. Is she Australian in real life or? No. Okay. No. Um, Cause she kept doing accents. She like, did yeah. keep doing accents. And so that was something that the director um, who was also the writer, mm -hmm. um, Paul Downs Colazzo, Colazzo um, he wanted her to do as a way for her character to essentially use comedy as sure. a deflection for her own real feelings. Right. I knew she was doing that in the, in, like as the character, but mm -hmm. I was like, is she doing a fake Aussie accent or is she Australian and doing a fake English accent? She American was doing, accent? no, she was American Got and it. doing a very bad Cockney accent. Oh, okay. Well then, yeah. 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 Fair enough. And it, and it's funny because I was, I was thinking about it afterward. I was like, so she is, if Monica and Chandler were combined. Sure. This person who is overweight and, and using, like they're in, having their insecurities about that, you know, sort of manifesting and being deflected. Right, right there. and sarcastic. and Yeah, exactly. And we have Brittany then being um, unhappy with her life, right? Right. And she goes to the doctor. She tells the doctor oh, boy. that she is feeling tired. Or she says she like feels like she's scattered, scatterbrained yeah, all over the place. Yeah, kind of run down or like not feeling great. I mean, she's basically there because she's trying to scam free Adderall right. off of him. Mm. 
And he tell then he starts pulling out the BMI number. Yeah. He's like, oh, you should lose some weight. I just, I, I, my, my note is just all caps. He said BMI. <laughs> I know. I think mine was similar. And I also was just like, here, I'll just give you the rundown mm-hmm. of my response to this doctor because I said, oh, look, the doctor is ignoring her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I said, oh, hey, the doctor is talking to her about BMI. And then she says, you're diagnosing me as fat. And then he says, oh, you need to diet and exercise to lose 45 to 55 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, guess what? That is not reasonable medical advice. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, that is a lot to ask someone to lose, especially to expect them to keep it off. Like right. that is un, very unlikely. Now, again, she seems like she may be a case where she had a lower amount of adipose tissue and then had gained some because of unhealthy lifestyle, in which case maybe she comes back to what her baseline was, but he doesn't know that. Right. And so that was very strange. Also, it's like the things that he diagnoses her with are like her blood pressure was high and her heart rate was high, I think, right? Her resting heart rate. Right. But she just came in trying to scam you for Adderall and you called her on it and you weren't like, maybe her blood pressure is high and her heart is racing because she's high on Adderall. <laughs> like, like maybe she's just a, maybe she's just an addict or, right. or whatever, like investigate. You don't know, right. She's coming in here trying to scam you for Adderall. You cheekily call her on it, yeah. wink and a nod. And, and then that's not the reason that you think maybe she has an elevated heart rate. Right. Like, that's not the reason that you think maybe there's something wrong with her health. You just assume that it's because she's yeah. heavier than your male eyes would like to see. And then he is like, oh, I'm afraid you might have a fatty liver. Don't be afraid. Run a blood test. Run a blood test. You're a doctor. Well, like, <laughs> and that was and that was kind of the thing for me. So there was if we're not going through this linearly, yeah. obviously. But the one thing that I wish that they could have come back around on or maybe not maybe have clarified a little bit was this idea of like the fatty liver because exactly right he says i'm afraid you might have a fatty liver there were no test results that we saw she cries to her neighbor Catherine, and says like i think that my liver might be failing right you know or whatever but but we don't ever actually get that right we don't ever actually see numbers in accordance with that and then they have her going back to the doctor and like weighing so much less right and, and he's like oh happy. you're doing a great job yeah. i really wanted a moment at the end for her to be like so how's my liver doing or whatever and, and him be like oh well i was just saying like it could be and it's like oh so there was actually nothing wrong with me physically yeah there was a plant with no payoff right, right. there was because like that was kind of it is he does a, mo- a, a really good job of wrapping up all of these ideas by the end of the film that what she really needed to do was change all of the things in her life that were causing her chaos and right. all of the other decisions and not the weight and was never about their weight, right? Yeah. Right. But but we still have this like deference to doctors and this idea that oh, also you lost weight and improved your health, right? Right. right. And and it turns out that that the, maybe she lost some weight, but it didn't do anything for her health, right? Right. Well, and I you know again not linearly, but going through the movie like at the very end, she I forget what her goal was. It was like 155 or something. Yeah. And she gets like 157, but then goes back up to 160 or whatever. And then, it's like yeah, she's like 163 at one point. Right. Or whatever. And then but like if she if her goal it was 155 because in her 20s she was 155. Right. Then that is a different thing than when she's now in the film approaching 30. 
It's like your metabolism slows down when you get older, yada, yada. It's like your body may just be resting a few pounds higher than it was. And that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. And they don't, I mean, they get her like throwing away the scale and like you show that sort of narratively. Right. But they don't really get into, you just are going to be a new, you're just going to be a person that is not necessarily the person you want to hit in that number. I mean, I think that they they don't explicitly say that, but I think that they do represent that. I mean, they do have her putting away the scale and saying, like, I don't care about this. And I'm just going to let myself be happy with my boyfriend and my life. And I don't, it's not about whatever this number is. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I, 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 for me, I did, I did see that that. even even though they didn't like explicitly like, um, you know, lay it out. Yeah. for you yeah sort of again getting back to you know we have her deciding then that she's going to start to run she meets her neighbor when she has this sort of like she had like an antagonistic relationship with her early on yeah that's yeah. right and um and she meets her neighbor and her neighbor is actually played by um michaela watkins have you heard of this person i know the name and i recognize her from something but i forget what i know the name she's been in a she's been in a lot of things um she was in in a world they came together she's been in a ton of things got it she's also a contributor to crooked media shows oh okay a lot of times so her voice sounds very That's, familiar okay, to me that makes sense yeah but she's been she's been in a ton of stuff. The main actress Jillian Bell was also a producer on the film, hmm. and she's been in things that I've just never really seen: Twenty Two Jump Street and Workaholics. Okay, Workaholics is a fun show. Yeah, yeah. Produced by Tobey Maguire. <laughs> Workaholics is no, no, no. I'm saying th- this film was yes. also produced by Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Um. So the it, it's interesting. The the writer and director. This was his very first film. Yep. He is actually a playwright. He had a couple different plays on Off-Broadway. Okay. A show called Really, Really, and then another one called Pride in the Falls of Autry Mill. Mm-hmm. And Tobey Maguire came to like the second night of premieres of, of one of his films and wanted to know what else. For one of his plays? Yeah, for one of his plays. And wanted to know what else Colazio had going on. Colazio oh. had going on. And he told him, oh, well, I have this screenplay that I'm writing about my roommate who oh. is deciding to write a marathon. Well, there you go. And so roommate, that, that's, I was wondering, like, I know it was a real person, so. Yeah, yeah so um, it was somebody who he went to NYU. What up? Uh, he got, I think he got like an MFA at NYU. Go Violets. And uh, yeah, and he, this was his roommate and she decided that she wanted to run a marathon and he got an idea to write a screenplay about it mm-hmm. and um, told her about it. And so he was writing it as she was training for the marathon. And one funny thing is he actually like wrote, finished the screenplay before she like ran her marathon. And after he finished the screenplay, she hurt her leg. Oh no. (laughs) Cursed her. Uh Uh-huh. But she also did finish her marathon. Nice. And he, he worked really closely with her. I mean, she was, the person that he would send his plays to anyways. Right, right. But I was a little bit conflicted because I knew it was a guy who was writing this and it's always a little bit like, mm, when a guy writes a a female main character. 100%, yeah. But I do feel like there was times that it rang really true. And so I was curious about how that came about. And it's because he was consulting with her very closely about her journey. It makes total sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other reason I think that the character rings so true is because the main character, Brittany, or the, the actress who plays her, Jillian Bell, she actually did lose 40 pounds for the role. Oh, wow. Okay. So she is wearing prosthetics yeah, yeah, and yeah. a bodysuit at the beginning and throughout the film. Right. But 
just for her own mental preparation. She had the the script for seven months and she started running and she ended up losing 40 pounds so that she could get into the mindset because she said that as she was reading through, she understood a lot of the character, but there were things that she didn't really understand. And so she really wanted to know where that was coming from. So lost, lost 40 pounds. She, uh, used Pinterest and found a couch to 5k. Oh, there you go. Yeah. To, to help her get started. And I guess she said that they didn't even ask her to lose the weight for the role. Oh, interesting. She just showed up to set and they're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, all right. We got to get some prosthetics. Makeup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think she did a really good job with the character. The makeup was a little bit. Mm, it was not great. For me at the beginning. I mean, that, yeah, that's one of the reasons I was asking about budget is like, mm-hmm. there are some times in here, like Mikey day, for instance, is the, trainer at the gym yeah but they don't ever really like pan around to show a gym right <laughs> they just like got a studio and like put a couple of bags in there or something so mm-hmm. they're like where's a brick wall that's right that's and exactly one it. <laughs> weight machine yeah yeah i mean budget was was not great and one of the places that you see that actually is you know the one shot where she goes out for the first time to go running and she sees her face in the hot dog cart reflection right they were going to do that with cg and then they saw what the cg budget for that would be yeah and the camera person or the dp was just like we're just gonna do it i'll just do it in a practically yeah, yeah. it's fine <laughs> So that was a practical effect. Which, um, by the way, just do that all. Like, why are we CGing everything? Nowadays? I know. Just do that all the time. Like, that's what you are paying these people who are professionals to yes. figure out for you is the angle of light that is hitting the camera. Yeah. The only other actor that, well, there's two other actors that um, I think are interesting to touch on. The person who plays her her boyfriend, we know from- Mindy Project. The Mindy Project, yeah. yeah. Adkar Ambedkar. Um, who plays Jern. He's in the Mindy Project. He's in Pitch Perfect. And then he's also in that, it, the the improv rap show. Oh, the one with, uh, what's his face? Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know the one. I don't remember the name. But yeah. I forget the name of it also. And then the other person that is worth mentioning is Lil Rel Howery. Yeah. Who plays Demetrius. Yep. And did you recognize what he was from? Yes. He's been in a lot of stuff. He, I mean, he was on the Oscars two, a year ago when Nomadland won. He was like, did a little thing there. He was also in a couple of TV shows, I think. And he's also in Get Out. Yes. Yeah. And Bird Box. Oh, yeah. I, I saw Bird Box while I was working. I don't remember much mm-hmm. of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then the final person is um, the person who plays Jasmine, the woman at the end with the boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Um, Sarah Bolt. She apparently is a Broadway performer. And okay. she's a singer um, in the show Sister Act. Oh, on Broadway. nice. Yeah. Cool. So anyways, um, I think really, I mean, a really great indie film cast. Yeah. Yeah. Filmed very in... New York-y. You know, a, you know, an actor who was in there. <laughs> right. Yes. Very New York-y. Um, we were, we were watching it and um, the boyfriend of the, of the influencer came on the, on the screen and I was like, Dan, <laughs> <laughs> um, who is a Dan Bittner, who is a friend of a group of friends of mine from college and uh despite his character is a very nice person <laughs> we should have gotten him on the podcast yeah he's a genuinely nice genuinely nice guy who always just happens to play kind of jerks yeah so i think i don't know tall thin white guy it's kind of the typecast <laughs> yeah yeah um but you know i think that really quickly just running through the highlights of the plot, she decides that she's going to run a marathon. She gets into a big fight with her roommate, moves out of the roommate's house, mm-hmm. moves into the the apartment of the people who she's dog walking for or dog sitting for, where she is now living with... Jern. With Jern. Yeah, yeah the, apparently. So he was a dog walker also who was supposed to take the night shift, right. but then decided just to move in there. 
Right. And then she's like, well, uh, <laughs> what am I supposed to do during the day while I'm here? And so eventually she moves in there mostly. Right. And she also decides to basically run a marathon after joining this running group and gets a couple of people to join her in her quest. Then yep. she hurts her leg, um, has a big emotional sort of falling out and goes back to Philly where she's from, has a confrontation with- Talk about bottoming out, going back to Philly, oof. <laughs> Sorry, she goes back to where her her sister and, and brother-in-law are and has a big confrontation, sort of hits rock bottom there, and then decides to snap out of it, go back. Yeah, I and... think the thing that snaps her out of it, she acts very brutishly to a larger woman who is visiting for Demetrius's birthday. Right. And, like, does not... Like she has a, you know, skinnier uh, dude who there is in a relationship with. Right. And so she's like, how did you guys meet? Like, it's weird that a skinny guy would be with a fat girl. And so that is like her rock bottom mm-hmm. moment. That's like the end of act two. And I guess she was supposed to be drunk. That was the that was the other thing. I just wish she had been a little bit more drunky. Right. When yeah. she said those things. Because yeah. she just seemed bitter. Right. Out of context. Yes. And I, I wonder if that was the point, though. Right. Like she was supposed to actually, she's like blaming it on the alcohol. But like, actually, she was, yeah. she did spill a little bit, but it's like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, point being that caused Demetrius to like say like, oh, what? Like the problem is you don't let anybody in. Like mm-hmm. it's not that you're no, your size never mattered. Right. Like, and it's more about like the fact that you are isolated and closed off. Um, and it, and it stems back to like this trauma she experienced when I think her mom left her family um, and then her dad died. Right. I mean, I think that the thing that we see, the bigger thing that we see throughout the entire film is she dis- it's it's again causation versus correlation, right? Yeah. She decides that she is going to start running. And in order to meet those goals, she can't go out and party anymore. Yeah. She can't, you know, she you she can't get wasted and wake up at four in the morning and then go running at seven. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You can't live this this wild lifestyle any longer. And and you also because she decides to start running, she starts to realize her friends, mm-hmm. quote unquote friends, are not very great. And she meets new people and yeah. she starts, you know, changing the little things in her life that are the actual problem and the actual reason that she feels terrible. Yeah. Not the fact that she's not whatever weight she wants to be. Right. And it's funny because it's like, you know, going back to sort of the news article, it's like if you're looking for a drug that can help you lose weight. Right. Like we have cocaine. She could have just been doing cocaine and lost a bunch of weight. I mean, the Adderall would have done it. Yeah. And the, the thing is, it's like, she would have been continued to be unhealthy right. and would have continued to have a bad life, but could have been skinnier. Mm-hmm. And it's like the point of the movie was like, I, I think what they're trying to get at the end is like the weight was a byproduct of the healthy decisions. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and for a lot of people that won't be their byproduct, right? Right. There are people who, who weigh, you know, quite a bit and who can still run marathons. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, your weight is not a limiting factor. Right. And so, you know, the question is always just like, for me at the end of the movie was like, was it necessary to do the weight thing at all? But I guess they did handle it. Like you're saying, as she sort of was experiencing that it was a false is a false goal. False goal. Yeah. And then she sort of put that away at the end. So Right. She never hit yeah. her goal and she also realized that she didn't need to. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's I think that that's right. Like I said, the only thing I wish that they had handled a little bit differently was her to go back to the doctor and be like, you know, F you dude. Yeah, yes. It was not my weight. Just hit him with a steel chair. <laughs> yeah. And I think other than that, you know, I, I I think that they did a good job of showing that it was really, I mean, it was really just she needed to grow yeah. up. 
Yeah. Right. For she sure. really just needed to stop living the 20 something party lifestyle. Yeah. And I, I felt that very much <laughs> as sure. somebody who immediately prior to you and I meeting was basically that. Yeah. We lived know? in the same neighborhood and never saw each other because I did daylight hours and you did not nighttime hours. I had vampire hours <laughs> yeah, right. um, and was out partying all night, right. every night. And I just, you know, it's just, everyone hits that point, I think hopefully, right? If you, if you want to, where you decide like, Hey, I'm going to make changes that benefit me yeah. and my like mental health and physical yeah. health. And, uh, it's very easy to, in your twenties in New York to not do that. Well, yeah, for sure. There are a lot of, a lot of, um, incentives to not. Right. Um, so the one thing I'll say that I kind of ties the new story together with the movie mm-hmm. is I think it's like, what does this combination of things sort right. of say to people who have excess adipose tissue, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, if these new drugs allow obesity to be treated like a chronic disease with right. medications that must be taken for a lifetime, they say the thought is that doctors, patients, and the public might understand that obesity is truly a quote-unquote medical condition. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that as like, they think that that's going to eliminate stigma. I think it's the exact opposite. It right. just shifts the stigma, mm-hmm. right? And then it also, if it's treated as a disease... It's something that by its very definition needs to be treated mm-hmm. rather than just letting people be whatever the size is that they are. Right. Like if your body is telling you, this is the size that I am, then great. That's fine. As long as those other biomarkers are fine, your glucose isn't you know going to cause you to have diabetes. Your cholesterol is not going to cause you to have a heart attack. Who cares? Right. You know, the doctors are saying this, we believe this will change the way obesity is treated, but I don't know that that's really true. Mm-hmm. It may change the treatment of obesity it may not change the treatment of all those other things that are actually issues, right? Right. So if you go in now and you have a high BMI, the doctor will say, oh, we need to diet and exercise like Mm -hmm. the guy in the movie. Right. In the future, maybe they'll say, oh, you need to go on this drug to lose weight. Mm -hmm. But they're still treating physical weight and not any underlying conditions. And that speaks more to society and their perception of people who have excess adipose tissue rather than the people themselves, right? People with obesity are more likely to be passed over for jobs. They're more likely to be, be paid less than others with the same abilities and training. They are treated more poorly by doctors who spend less time with them and offer fewer present preventative services. Right. These are all studies that have been done that show people who are fat have worse outcomes because of this, the way society perceives them, mm-hmm. not because of who they are. You know, I, I guess my thought is, why, why should we be providing a drug to change people they may not result in appropriately sufficient health outcomes rather than just changing society's perception of those people. Right. And I realize that's harder. And maybe that's the answer. Doctors just want to pill. They don't want to have to do any more work. They don't want to have to like do all of these, you know, medical history questions or all the blood tests and all that kind of stuff. Like I get it, mm-hmm. but it seems wrong and dumb. <laughs> it seems the problem is the problem is us all along. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I mean, I, you know, I worked on um, developing or designing an app at one point for a large healthcare company mm-hmm. where they were trying to work with um, CDC regulations and guidelines for people who had prediabetes. And it's, it's interesting because it's very similar yeah. where if, you know, if you have prediabetes or you're determined to have prediabetes, again, it's because of like blood work and it's because of your weight and your BMI, but like it is, there's a a combination of things, but the way that they 
the way that they try and treat it with people is by essentially telling them to lose weight, right? Telling them to exercise and then eat in a way that is really kind of very high in sugar. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah, you yeah. think about it, like um, a lot, very much breads and pasta. I don't know that so. they were using the, um, the food pyramid, but it was something very like yeah. outdated like that, you know? And it was very much just trying to get people to move and like lose a certain amount of yeah. weight. Again, the the weight itself is not the thing that causes you right. to have diabetes. And they're really just treating the symptoms as opposed to having recommendations that treat the actual issues. Yeah. Weight and people's uh, relationship to it is just a, for doctors, it is a visual shorthand. Right. Is I can see it. I can associate that with correlations that are in the medical literature and I can just move on. Right. It's, it's an easy out. And so I think that's unfortunate. And I think that's why this, you know, this kind of drug is maybe startling for scientists with its efficacy, mm -hmm. but I don't think is any kind of real solution to overall like healthcare. Right. But, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist in that regard. So, uh, you know, take my words with a grain of salt, obviously, but you know, Hey, maybe just be happy with the shape and size you are. Cause people are supposed to be the people that they are, you know? Right. Or the size that you are doesn't have anything to do with, with your you value yeah. or your health or anything yeah. like that. And if you want to make changes because of other things, do it, yeah. but know that your size is not, is not like, the issue. Like I still, like everyone should eat healthy and should exercise because those things make you feel better. Right. But and they have it. other health just, effects. Yeah, just right? feel better. Don't worry about anything else. Right. Anyway, okay. We Anyways, did it. <laughs> we, we did it. We solved it. We solved um, it. Just listen to us. Don't listen to your doctors. I think that's what we came across. Also, this, is, this podcast is not medical advice. Not medical advice. Not to be taken seriously, please. We were just joking about movies. <laughs> but but more importantly, just feel feel good about yourselves, man. And yeah. um, do what makes you feel good emotionally and physically. Yeah, we're here for a good time, not a long time. You know what I'm saying? Just kidding. YOLO. Please. <laughs> yes. YOLO this episode. That's what I say about health. YOLO. <laughs> uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. You can catch us on Twitter at The Crosscut or on Instagram at The Crosscut Pod. Wherever you are listening to this, please go ahead and send that link to your five closest friends. Get them to listen. Uh, and subscribe or just, you know, go to an Apple store and just like subscribe on all the demo phones. That'd oh, be cool too. We haven't done that yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, tell somebody about it if you like it. We're big fans of ourselves. We hope you are too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm a little punchy because I got to get back to work, but bye everybody. Bye.